Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 531st episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice support at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Alberta. And today we're going to go into the archives that was just published about a week ago and talk about coughing with Sam. Sam, introduce yourself, please. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Samantha Moe. I'm a clinical evidence expert with the College of Family Physicians of Canada, and I was a pharmacist with the primary care uh, unit here in Ontario for 10 years prior to that. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Awesome. There's oh, a story. Ahead, no, no, you said that there's a story behind this, this Tools for Practice. Right. So we were writing this Tools for Practice two years ago. Yep. And it was about how to manage cough after infections. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that around two years ago, something else happened that was causing cough and respiratory illness. I'll let you guess that, James, what it might be. Two was it, years was ago. it cat allergies? Yeah, cat allergies were brand new then. Yeah. And <laughs> that was the first time they ever happened. Yeah. It might refresh your mind if I say the word COVID. <laughs> <laughs> or coronavirus. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the coronavirus came out and we were we were worried about how this would be because it was about general viral illnesses. Um, and we didn't want people thinking that that the evidence was supporting uh, the use of bronchodilators, et cetera, in that because that was at that point it was so new. Mm -hmm. And then we had to shift gears dramatically to make a lot of tools for practice around um uh, related to COVID. And so this one got shelved and I can't remember, Sam, was it you or Adrian that remembered that this was sitting and it was almost done if I remember correctly. And yeah, yeah we were so close. And then a couple of years later, now that where things have settled down, Adrian's like, let's pull it out. Cause a lot of people are having flu and colds mm -hmm. and respiratory tract infections. I was like, yay, finally we can take it out. Yeah. So what was it? So what was the question you guys were looking at? Yeah, so we wanted to look at whether bronchodilators or inhaled corticosteroids worked for post-infectious cough. Um, it's something that in practice we see, I think, um, as a pharmacist, I would see oh, yeah. like the kind of prescriptions. And so just wondering, like, what is the evidence behind that? Um, so I guess I'll start off with a couple of definitions. So when we talk about post-infectious cough, um, as Mike said, we're talking about a cough that persists after an acute respiratory infection. And the time frame that we're talking about is three to eight weeks afterwards. So there's guidelines out there that classify cough into like an acute cough, which is less than three weeks duration, subacute cough, which lasts between three to eight weeks, and then a chronic cough that lasts greater than eight weeks. And so post-infectious cough falls into that subacute category. I mean, there's other reasons to have a subacute cough, but post-infectious cough is one of the most common ones. So here we're talking about a subacute cough that happens after respiratory tract infection. And if, and if I remember correctly, for most upper respiratory tract infections, I think the average duration of a cough is at least a couple of weeks, isn't it? I think I, I, I remember like I remember the name, number 17 days, but I, maybe it's maybe it's around two weeks. So it's beyond that period of time that you guys exactly. are talking about. Right. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, that, that is right, James. That's the general number. It's somewhere around 17 or yeah. 19 days of uh, profit, very slightly with age and a few other factors. But um, 
it it does indicate that the majority of of people will be done having a cough by mm-hmm. three weeks. That's exactly. where this. Yeah. So the first thing we looked at is whether inhaled corticosteroids work. So we looked for studies that were inhaled corticosteroid versus placebo. And we found four systematic reviews that sounds like kind of promising that maybe we could answer this question. Um, And those four systematic reviews had four to nine randomized controlled trials, um, anywhere from 335 to 750 patients. But it was kind of tricky here because it wasn't just uh, these systematic reviews had kind of a mishmash of patients. So they had patients with acute cough, they had patients with chronic cough, and they had multiple drug classes included, sometimes lumped together. So it was kind of tricky to kind of weed out and figure out, um, you know, exactly the answer to our question. But the most useful systematic review had two randomized control trials of 163 patients. And that those two RCTs are probably the ones that are most close to the question that we're trying to ask. So mostly in subacute cough. Um, and in terms of outcomes, what a lot of these two studies looked at was cough severity. And they tried to get these cough severity scores And there's different ways to get them. You can get them on a visual analog scale, or you can ask a patient to keep a diary and rate their cough severity. So for example, a zero score is no cough, whereas three is a severe cough and one and two are in between, things like that. So we get different outcomes from different studies. um, And even within the study, they have multiple outcomes that they um, sometimes measure. So it's tricky. Um, One of the outcomes that they measure is um, cough severity using standard mean difference. And and I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast before, Mm -hmm. where it's tricky to kind of interpret standard mean difference. But for those of you who are familiar with it, um, the standard mean difference was reported as 0.4. So some of the papers talk about how that's a small to moderate benefit over placebo. Um, But in terms of clinically, if you want kind of numbers to help you that are more meaningful, um, placebo improved the cough score by about 50% at two weeks. And then inhaled corticosteroids improved the cough score by about 2 to 13% more. We ballpark that to be around 10%. And, and that's not a new, that's kind of what you see, uh, I think you'd agree, Mike and, and Sam, that that's sort of what you see when you give something like a, a, an NSAID or acetaminophen for acute pain, about a 10% reduction in the score. And that's always right on the edge of, is it clinically relevant? It's exactly on the edge of it. And yeah. when Sam used the word, it's tricky to interpret standard mean difference, mm-hmm. the reading between the lines is, it's impossible. Yes. It's not quite that bad, but it's so darn close. And I don't, I, I get why it's used because it's a way to combine all sorts of different scales um, into one statistical measure, but that measure becomes almost useless. So what we do is often we go back as Sam's done in this and we pull the actual RCT data. If we, if it's only two in this case, we just give you the, the averages or the the, the two numbers um, from the groups, but sometimes we'll also just pick the estimate that most closely approximates the the finding of the standard mm, mean yeah. difference and apply that and give you what that might mean. So we do try in tools for practice and here on the podcast to give something that's meaningful. And then as James says, this number, if you had to close your eyes and guess what the effect was of virtually anything and then over placebo you placebo gets you somewhere around 
40, 50%, mm -hmm. and the intervention gets you another around 10% more on top of it for a change in scale. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's why, you know, if you were to ask people who are given these medications or you ask people who prescribe these medications, they would say, yeah, it seems to work. And, and, and the problem is, is, is that what's going on in the placebo is the vast majority of it. So it's, it's mm -hmm. a little bit more than placebo, but not much. And that's why when you go on just basic on the basis of uh, your clinical experience, it's, it's biased, not that, not that you're biased, but it's there's a, the bias is that there's an underlying uh, thing that people get better on their own. Uh, you know, we've used yeah, that phrase. Was, yeah. It's such a problem with antidepressants. When the yeah. literature started to come out, there was a real phase that antidepressant reporting came through that a lot of evidence guru type people were saying they don't really work. Mm -hmm. And and then in practice, you were like, well, I see at least one in two getting better yeah. when I use them. Yeah. How, and, how can you say they're not working? Yeah. And and in fact, where they are getting better, the, the issue is likely uh, it, when we're talking about antidepressants, maybe of, of five people who get better, it's likely due to the drug in about one case. So that's the tricky thing with this. This is, so this is the similar thing, but you got, you guys also teased out by looking at the largest RCT, right, Sam? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the largest RCT was 133 patients. They used fluticasone, 500 micrograms um, BID versus placebo for two weeks. And besides cough scores, they looked also at other outcomes. So how many days of work patients had or how many times they woke up at night, what kind of side effects they had. And among all these different outcomes, there was no difference. Um, the other thing they looked at was within the study, about two thirds of patients were non-smokers. And when you looked at the proportion of patients who had 50% cough improvement, so a responder analysis, specifically among non-smokers, um, they did show a difference. So 81% on medication um, had a 50% cough improvement versus 54% on placebo. That's a number needed to treat of four, but there was no improvement among um, smokers. Yeah. And now that's so a that's some, a that's a subset of a subset of a subset sort of thing. Correct, so you got to you know you got to be real careful with you know hanging your hat on that exact number, but it gives yeah. you something to go on anyway. Absolutely, yeah. So it's tricky. Like again, this RCT, not all patients had post-infectious cough. Um, the study was industry funded, so there's certainly limitations around that. And just like you said, like subgroup analyses, limitations around that as well. So, but that's the best evidence we had. And that's for inhaled corticosteroids, but as, as I'm sure everybody knows who's listening to the podcast, the, 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 we have also just the, your general bronchodilators as well. Yeah. So for bronchodilators, um, we only found one RCT of 92 patients. Um, their cough had persisted for three to four weeks after the original event. Um, and they studied, so nebulized salbutamol combined with ipratropium versus placebo. So a little bit different from what we would typically mm -hmm. <laughs> give our patients in the clinic, for example. But um, what they found was that the proportion with an ongoing cough at day 10 was lower with the drug. So 37% versus 69% placebo. That's a number needed to treat of three. But it's interesting because at 20 days, there was no difference between the groups. Like the majority of patients had gotten better um, regardless of whether they had the medication or not. Yeah. yeah and, and you'd expect that anyway, because in pretty much yeah. everyone gets better anyway. And it's unfortunate. It's too bad they had to use nebulized salbutamol ipratropium combination. I mean, you'd really want to know 
what about just using one of the just using the blue puffer, if you will? It would be yeah. nice to know uh, with, with that. Uh, but the, you guys didn't find any studies on that. No, we didn't find yeah. any studies yeah. on that. So, so that's I think is that pretty much the evidence that we have for this issue because it's you it's know, so common. You're right, James. I, I exactly. This is so common. And then to address the problem, that happens so commonly. They use perhaps one of the most uncommon treatments. For I know it. <laughs> Nebulized freaking salbutamol and ibuprofen. Classic research when you start to okay. So we've got absolutely nothing except this study where they were given uh, Ventolin four times a day intravenously by coming. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> by coming into a hospital, like my. God, why why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just assign them a puffer? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't get it. And anyway, I that would probably be my recommendation still anyway, but anyway, we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. But so what about there's there is some context to this whole thing though. Yeah, so in terms of context, well, we talked about some definitions already, but there was one RCT that Mike and I came across. Um, but it was a little bit tricky because they called it a study in post-infectious cough, but these were patients who had a cough anywhere from 10 days to three weeks after um, the respiratory infection. So it doesn't, like if you follow the guidelines from chest that kind of define acute, subacute, and chronic, it doesn't quite fall nicely into that subacute category. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, they studied an inhaled corticosteroid and they had several, lots of outcomes, which is kind of characteristic of these kind of studies. Um, and they measured cough on a device. So it's kind of interesting. It's called a tosometer, and they measured the number of coughs, as I understand it. Um, and they did show improvements when it was measured on this device in favor of the inhaled corticosteroids. But when you ask the patients how they felt, for example, on a visual analog scale, there was no difference in patient kind of reported symptoms. Mm-hmm. No, Again, showing the difficulty when you involve the patient in their care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It always leads to problems. Yeah. So, so typically, like I know, the Mike loves guidelines. I'm not as big a fan of guidelines as that. But uh, what what do guidelines suggest typically for this? Yeah. So the guidelines recommend inhaled um, ipratropium, or if you're familiar with a brand mm-hmm. name like Atrovent. Um, or if it's refractory, then you can try an inhaled corticosteroid. But actually, beyond that, there wasn't really that many recommendations. Um, recommending anything else really yeah and and you gave a, a very important context at the end which goes back to the beginning of what we were talking about yeah, yeah so these studies definitely don't include they're pretty they're older studies and they definitely don't include patients who have COVID-19 yeah yeah so uh, uh, post-infection cough from COVID although you yeah it, it didn't include those no <laughs> the, the evidence is bad enough uh on the patients that we do have some information mm-hmm. on uh, so it's even, yeah, it's even worse there. And, and to think about it, and I'm not suggesting that, that you would use this in in, uh, in COVID patients, but the the sort of uh, the reason that you are coughing is likely very, very similar. You've irritated, you know, the, the airways enough that it takes a while for it to heal. So, I mean, it may not apply to COVID, but who knows? That's the problem, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's very tricky. So what, what's yeah. the what's the bottom line with all this? Yeah, so in terms of the bottom line, um, well, we have very limited data. We only have two randomized control trials for inhaled steroids mm-hmm. and one for bronchodilators. And for inhaled corticosteroids, um, cough scores may be improved by about 50% with placebo and maybe 5 to 10% more with the steroids over two weeks. 
And with bronchodilators like ipratropium, salbutamol, or the combination, it may resolve cough in more patients than placebo at day 10. So again, 69% versus 37%, but like over 80% of patients will improve regardless of the treatment by day 20. Yeah. Let me ask you guys, you guys have more experience. I mean, I've seen this used, but I, what, what have you seen used in practice? Oh, oh goodness. Every puffer that you can yeah, imagine. That's what I'd have thought. Yeah. Depending on the level of frustration and then using cough suppressants, all sorts mm-hmm. of things. This can be, this can be very debilitating for patients, mm-hmm. um, yeah. keeping them up at night um, you know, having difficulties at work, going to work, hanging out with family, keeping up your partner um, with coughing. So people become desperate. And in, in medicine, we want to help. So mm-hmm. we try. It's interesting that uh, um, salbutamol is not on the list um, of the things recommended from um, guidelines. But, you know, I have tried, I think, every puffer yeah. uh, that's been reported in these uh, for patients. Um, you, you just get, you just get really desperate. And then you start to wonder, you've never had a cough from your ACE inhibitor. You just have this bad respiratory illness. You're coughing now. Should I stop your ACE? Could that be making it worse? You, you know, you, you become quite desperate. Oh, for, no, for sure. And, and the, the most common, coffee. most common thing I've seen is, is just using, I've seen salbutamol being used and, and, yeah, you know, that, that's probably your first go to, yeah. right? Or. Well, and and given given the recommendations in the literature, you could certainly argue the ipatropium or atrovent uh, trial. You could argue that in place of salbutamol, but yeah, um, I, I think either one would be a good place to start, and then see how that goes, and um, and then steroids as needed. Um, yeah, it's it's a it, it it's amazing. Again, we've talked about this lots. How we spend literally millions and millions on things that don't work like vitamins and vitamin mm-hmm. D, et cetera. And we have real, no clue. Omega threes have been also studied excessively. Yeah. And we have really have very little data to guide something so common and so frustrating for yeah. patients. And I, and I think when you look at this sort of thing, you, you kind of go well, that the evidence is interesting. I mean, it's not great, but then you got to use either common sense or just because here's what go through, goes through my mind when I'm looking at this, of, of these things, I'm in, in my mind, there's no doubt inhaled corticosteroids, one, are likely going to be more expensive unless you get just a generic single uh, steroid. They are going to cause thrush and uh, maybe some voice changes in maybe 5% of people. So there's a potential for side effects on that. I'm not going to recommend a combination salbutamol or petropium because that's going to be more expensive. And, you know, the evidence is pretty, at best, tricky. I'm, I doubt I'm going to go nebulized. So I'm, I'm basically left with just giving a very relatively inexpensive uh, salbutamol and see if that works. I, 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 don't, and I don't think that's an unreasonable approach, given that we don't have any definitive evidence. Or the ipotropium, right? Like that, yeah, you could go with that, the ipotropium. Yeah, it, you know, that, either, that either way. Is yeah. Either one is, yeah, yeah, either one is cheap. Yeah, so, no, for sure. But, and then see them like this is a thing where you have to see them again regularly. And as as Sam indicated, eighty percent will get better. So it's also a patience thing, right? Like you're, what what is that old line in medicine? We have to distract the patients until they get better. And, yeah, yeah. And there's you know that that's that's the joke around or joke is a yeah. sad word, but yeah. it's the statement around uh, sports injuries a lot of the time because yeah. people do get better. But this is this is also true. It's something that people most people will get better, right? And if they're not getting better, then you have to wonder why. Yeah, and, yeah, and no, exactly. Looking. But yeah, and then, you know, that, 
well, there, I just want to say, James, there's, uh, we didn't mention Emily Brash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she, she helped write it and, uh, we're, this one's progressing to be published in Canadian Family Physician, and Emily was a big part in writing the yeah. implementation section. You no, know, these these uh, tools of practice take a team for sure yeah, they- <laughs> to put these together. And uh, um, no, this is great. So th- this is great. Answers are really uh, it doesn't answer it very well, unfortunately, but it gives mm-hmm. you now know the best available evidence. And uh, Mike, do you want to say anything about uh, CFPC Learn? Yes, for sure. So CFPC Learn is an online learning platform uh, that Sam works at with me, and um, it offers a whole bunch of different learning options from tools for practice reviews to reviewing to uh, watching uh, presentation videos. Uh, James McCormick may be on one or two of those and uh, some other options, but it also uh, offers this uh, podcast. And uh, it's certified, so after the podcast is listened to, you fill out a very quick short uh, little questionnaire and credits are automatically entered into your account as a family doc. So just a really uh, easy option for you to get credits throughout the year while doing your learning. Yeah. And, and getting credits is a pain in the butt. So it's a great way to help you out. <laughs> yeah, for this sure. sort of process. And then just very quickly, we've got our uh, meme conference coming up in Vancouver, May 12, May 13 of 2023. Uh, very, it's uh, going to be at a lovely hotel downtown Vancouver. Vancouver will be lovely, likely at that time. We usually have pretty good weather in May. You never know it. Uh, for those of you who know Vancouver, it has been known to rain on occasion, but in general, it's uh, the weather should be pretty good around that time. So we'd love to have you attend. It's going to be both uh, uh, in person and uh, we're going to do a live stream of it as well. So uh, either if, if you can come and hang out with us, that'd be perfect. If you can only do it online, that'd be great as well. So I think we'll just leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later. Uh-huh.